This is Cường Pham. I'm a founder of Red Coat Vistos. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over. Thank you, Nguyen, for coming on today. Um, the first generation of Vietnamese people to come and you know find this security and the jobs, and I understand that you were an engineer over at Apple for many years. You're in the tech space for a long time. And I heard recently uh, in another podcast that you were on that you wish you started Red Boat a lot earlier. I mean, but the journey has been, I'm sure, very tough. So can you tell me a little bit about wishing to start earlier and if this path has been a very difficult path or not for you? Right. The whole thing with Red Boat Fistos, when I started it, is because of my mom, right? So I was happy doing my job. It's kind of burnout a little bit, but uh, when I had a chance to visit Vietnam and took a trip to Red Boat, I mean, Fukuok Island, um, I got a few bottles from there, brought it back to my mom, and basically she literally cried. And then she found something that is she has missed for so long. And then, um, you know, I just gave her the bottle. I said, yes. And then a few weeks later, I came back, visit her, and I see she hardly use it. So I asked her, I say, Mom, I thought you like it so much. Why are you not using it? And she say, oh, are you kidding me? This stuff is so precious. I'm not just using it every day. We just waited for the right occasion when the family get together or when uh, we have damyo. This mm -hmm. is like um, something that, you know, people get together and she cooks with that stuff. And that's make me wonder. I say, wow, something this good. And we've been missing it and cannot be found in the States. Wonder why. And that gave me the motivation. And when I get started in, and I see more people using it and loving it, and, and they say, oh, wow, you could have started it earlier. What do you think was in that Fukuok bottle that was different from anything on the market at the time? Okay. The bottle I got is through a friend of a friend who happened to own the factory. So we basically, we drain the fissas from the barrel. And that particular quality, it usually, okay, go back a little bit. My mom has a cousin who owned the factory, and this is where we're getting all the fish sauce from. Usually, good fish sauce, we don't sell. We just give it to friends and family, and that's what we've had, and that's what we used to growing up with from my mom's cooking, right? So that bottle, um, so two things, fish sauce, come from food work, it's been famous for a very, very long time, and there's a reason for it. Um, you know, any a lot of different regions making fissas, but food work, as I get into it, I learn about it, there's a science behind it. Three things that make food work fissas so unique with any good products, right? We started out with good raw material. Raw material here is the fish the black anchovies in the Gulf of Thailand. Gulf of Thailand cover Thailand, Cambodia, and Fukuok. So that is the key ingredients, the, the little tiny anchovies. Secondly, is the process. Only Fukuok 
that I know of, sorting the fish on the boat immediately is just gone. It makes a huge difference because the fish is preserved. It's not been rotten, you know, when they bring it to shore and load it into the barrel. The third thing would be the climates of Fukuoka, hot year round, and the fermentation environment, the wooden barrels, the temperature, and the way they've done it for hundreds of years. Those three key factors produce you know, the fissos from Fukuoka. I noticed that people, when they see fissos from Fukuoka, it's so different and they're trying to replicate it because Fukuoka is a, it's an island that back at the time is it's a small village, a fishing village, very hard to get to. There's no infrastructure or whatever. So they bring the process, they create the barrel house on the mainland you know, either Rapia or some other places. So they can catch the fish from there. They can follow the process, but the fermentation is not the same. They don't have the climate. So the end product is not the same. So those are the three key factors that make Fukuoka so unique. That makes a lot of sense. But how did you even know that that is the difference between Fukuoka product and I'm from Thailand or from other regions of Vietnam. Okay. Um, we drive fish sauce from Fukuoka, and this is basically, that's how we grew up with the, with the kind of quality. Fukuoka for fish sauce making from other regions. I'm not sure how all the detail, all the other manufacturers, they're making it, but lacking one of those three. So fish sauce, the way the quality is like wine terror related, right? You have wine come from Napa Valley, you have wine come from Bordeaux, from Italy, all that stuff, right? Some main appellations. The, the key ingredient is the grapes, for example, right? And then you have the climate that the, where the grape is grown, and then you have the winemaker and all that stuff. So related to that, Fukuoka is a very unique place that it has those three key factors that creating the product of what it is. That makes sense. Now, when you say barrels, uh, I think of, you know, wine and I think of how, you know, oak or other types of wood affect wine and the taste of it. And when I think of uh, fish sauce, um, I keep thinking that there are cement tanks or metal tanks that you throw anchovies in. And But you've talked about barrel houses. So can you tell me how this affects the science of the taste of uh, fish sauce? Okay. Yeah, you probably notice other, if you're reading blogs, fish sauce making from other region, they're not using the wooden vats, you know, basically the huge vats. It's holding about 10, 15 tons. So what makes fish sauce is when we catch the whole anchovies, sorting it. So sorting is very key thing. So that's why our product has two ingredients, right? The fish and the salt. Sorting is agreeing the key things, because what it does is it kills the bad bacteria and then promoting the good bacteria, which is the enzyme that lives in the guts of the fish, right? So you, when you bring it in to the, the wooden vat, why is wooden vat? Maybe at the time, there's nothing around <laughs> in food work. So they, they utilize all the, the wood, 
on the island and making those vats. But it turned out that it's my research when I look into it, the science of it. The, enz the enzyme that breaking down the fish, they need two things for it to thrive. The first thing is the right amount of salt. The second thing is the temperature, meaning, and then the environment, the fermentation environment, that means that the temperature inside where the fermentation is very constant, they're not changing. And wood, I think, is doing exactly what it is that helped the enzyme thrive during the 12 months. No. We can continue talking about the science of this for another two hours. I know, <laughs> and I and I and I'm always down to talk about the technical side of these uh, processes. But I want to get to know who you are. I want to get to know what you came to the United States thinking that you would be doing, and what made you shift from such a comfortable living into something so, I mean, in my mind, it's very risky to, to do something this big and an endeavor that, that at the scope. Okay, so I'm an immigrant, I'm a boat people. I left Vietnam in 1979 by boat. I landed in the refugee camp in Malaysia. We stayed there for nine months. I learned a lot from those nine months. How <laughs> old were you at the time? I was 20 at the time. So by, I have a little bit I want to share with you. The reason I know I'm 20, but technically by Vietnamese age, I'm 21 because I was born in 1958 and this is 79. So, so theoretically I'm 21 by Vietnamese age, right? So we went to the island, um, you know, we got accepted into the camp and we're waiting to be settled on the third country. Could be US, um, Canada, Australia, all of those things. Um, I want to go to the USA, America. And in order to go there, they have four categories. Category one, you have immediate family, brother, sister, you know, father. And then that category one, which usually it takes about six months to leave. Category two, if you work for the U.S. government. My dad worked for the U.S. government. And because of, I'm not my dad, but I can I be eligible because of that, because I'm, you know, I'm his son. The third thing is people involved with the military from the old regime. And number four is none of those, those above. So the timing could be, depends on your category. So I was looking, I had my brother who studied in Italy at the time but they didn't relocate him until much later. So I looked at it and said, oh, well, I could be number two because my dad works for the U.S. government. So I applied for it. And um, when it's time for me to interview, and they asked me where my dad works and all that stuff, so I gave them the brief history of what I remember. And two weeks later, they came back and said, yep, I verified your dad used to work there. Where was your dad at the time? Oh, he's still in Vietnam. I was the first one who left Vietnam wow. by boat. So we said, oh, okay, you got accepted because yeah, you, your dad works there, you know, like what you said. And then they asked me, I said, okay, how old are you? I said, I'm 21. I said, oh, I'm sorry, you cannot, <laughs> cannot accept you because you're 21, you're no longer a minor. 
so I'm sorry. Uh, I, you know, I was rejected. I said, wow, that was close. So I left the table. I stepped like three steps away. And they looked at, and he called me back and said, wait a second, you come back and sit down. You're not 21. You're only 20 because you born in, in October and this is July. So technically, you're eligible <laughs> to oh go. I said, oh, my gosh. It <laughs> felt so good. So anyway, so that's why the age is kind. Of, I left in in when I was twenty, but then when I arrived here, I'm twenty one. So yeah, okay. So I, I landed um, first first uh, city is in Boston and East Coast, and then you know my family's like one member at the time. We start leaving after that. Uh, so my other brother also left by boat, and then he arrived, and then he moved to California. And then uh, he asked me to join him. So I went to California, uh, San Jose Bay Area, and went to school, studied there, landed the job at Apple back in 1984. And I was there for over two decades with Apple, you know, as an engineer, uh, IT engineer. And then um, I left Apple doing consulting job, you know, traveling everywhere. That's that's the thing that I'd like, you know, being at consulting, doing different things, traveling different places, see how people live on the other world, you know, beside the U.S. So, uh, and that's basically landed me a trip to Vietnam. I was in Southeast Asia. We had a lot of projects down there, Australia, Singapore. So I took the side trip to Vietnam and my friends asked me to go to Fuqua. I'm not searching for Fissos at the time, but but basically that's where it's famous for Fissos, right? So that's how I got the bottle and I brought it back. And my mom was so happy that we found it. And during the entire time of working at Apple or as a consultant, did you have an itch to become a business person? I always want to have a business. So even though I, as I was consulting, I was thinking about, you know, doing something for myself because, you know, I've been working with big corporations all my life, basically. So, so yeah, but that's not the, the FISOS producer. That's not something that in my mind at the time. Yeah. Is, uh, and I think you started the journey around 2006 and finally launched 2011. Is that right? Yes. Now, yeah. during the five years, what happens? Why does it take so long to launch? Because there's a lot of learnings to do. People think making FISOS is easy, but making FISOS, the way it's traditionally made, not leveraging or utilizing any um, artificial flavors, and the way that we used to growing up with and with the with the right amount of volume. So there's a lot of trial and error, you know. So everybody thinks, yes, easy. Just go get fish, you start it, you know, 12 months later, you get it. Yes, you get fish sauce, but not the kind that you can be proud to present it to the consumers. Or to your mom. To my mom, yes. So when I think about business, there's a, a few categories. Um, getting capitalized, getting the production and technical side right, getting the marketing and pushing the longevity of a business into the future. 
you could not have been good at everything, but you could not have been bad at everything. So what were the things that you sort of understood in those five years of the development phase from 06 to 2011 that you were good at and what were you bad at? And how did you kind of like figure out how to kind of open and expand the market of Redboat? Right. <clears throat> so creating the product is one thing, you know, skin optimizing the process and getting good enough that, um, you know, it's closest to what it used to be. It's a challenge. And that's why I didn't want to launch anything earlier than that until we find something. Um, so we found it finally after learning it, you know, what's the critical process, what the discipline, what you had to go through. And you get advice all along the way from people who've done it for years and for people who, you know, they're always away to get the products out. But to me, going from what I'm doing into this, it can just like a business. You have to bring some things meaningful, right? We know a lot of immigrants, a lot of people who live outside of Vietnam, who just like our family, my mom actually, my cousin, you know, all our close relatives, when we brought the fissos back, and they love it, you know. It's hard to sell at the time because people don't understand until, you know, you you have the right products, the, the right presentation of the products and all that. So going back and being with Apple, right, we value um, quality, you know, bring user's experience user experience meaning yes they cook with it they use it and they love it it's not like yeah you make something and then you know maybe you hit 50 percent 30 percent of the of the of your consumers that's not that's not what we we after you know we want to make sure that we have the right product it user friendly you know something that you know vietnamese can be proud of like we have a product that has been utilized by other than Asian culture or other than Asian cuisine. Because I've seen my mom cook fissas. She's a great cook anyway. She cook, you know, make pasta sauce. You know, she make pasta from scratch. She makes French food because she, you know, she's a foodie. You know, she loves to cook. Mm. And I say, well, you know, this can go more than just, you know, typical Asian dishes. So that's why, um, you know, our goal is we're hitting more than just the, the Asian pantries. I mean, a lot of people don't realize how much fish sauce is in mainstream food. There was a, a chain of hamburger restaurants called Umami Burgers yes. um, many years ago. Uh, they're pretty big now. And in the beginning, the way that they had marketed because the original store was here in LA in La Brea. And the, one of the first things that they had brought up was the fact that they use fish sauce in their patties. And it was such a big thing at the time, you know, and I was like, what? And as I began to like learn more about international cuisines, mainstream cuisines, there's so much, there's so much anchovies, there's so much uh, fish sauce that's being used. I mean, I mean, if you think about Caesar salads, there's like this, uh, 
anchovies in it. And a lot of us don't think about that because we think mainstream food or Italian cooking is just a little bit more we don't think of this uh, pungent smell of a fish, but in actuality, to get that deep umami, we need to have that fish sauce. Right, because the, uh, you know, if you look at the history, if you, you know, did research on that, fish sauce or garum is invented by the Greeks, right, thousands of years ago. Right. And the Roman commercialized it, you know, and they make it. Uh, basically, is the same thing. You know, key thing is anchovies. Anchovy. Let's repeat that how, on yeah. the podcast so all the Vietnamese people understand that the Vietnamese or the Chinese did not invent fish sauce. This garum came from Greece, came in vats, and it was traded by the Romans. Exactly. And the Romans somehow, with the Chinese, brought it over, and it just got to Vietnam as well. Uh, I'm not sure that, you know, that's why we don't have story in that keep track of, but, but yeah, I mean, it is similar, but, um, every region that has fish and salt and they can make fish sauce, right. And they, but the quality, the flavor, how deep it is, the savory of that depends on those three things, you know, like, you know, how people did it back then and how we're doing it now, different region, you know, have different type of fish sauce as well. So back to your points. Yes, it is going into mainstream. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Umami Burger. He's the first one, Adam Fletcher. <laughs> he's, a, he's the founder. He reached out to me. He said, oh, wow, I want to try your sauce. I said, okay, we ship it to you. I said, wow, you're expensive. I said, okay. <laughs> and then he tried and he loved it. And then, you know, we expanded from there. But um, other... Um, of course, the Vietnamese love that, right? Like one thing that I remember, I still remember by now, my cousin, she called me and she said, whatever you do, don't give up. This is something that we need. Don't ever give up. And we were struggling at the time, struggling meaning, oh, you're busy doing different things, trying to get the, the products out, right? But I said, don't quit, just stay with it. I still remember it. But back then when we launched it, um, you know, the Asian people, actually the older generation of my mom, when they found it. And I asked, I go back to the store, I asked them, I say, how people respond? I say, oh yeah, they love it. And I say, oh, you're selling well? I say, yes. Oh, people buy it by the cases. They don't buy it by the bottle. It's just like, you know, the older generation, the old lady, just like on the limb, they just carry this stuff out. Uh, at the time, we have like the six packs and they buy it by the case because they didn't think that they're going to find it again. Wow. And it's so good. And then on the other side, we launch it into mainstream. And then we've got chef from, you know, Le Bernardin in New York, reach out to me and say, hey, do you sell it in food service size? We'd like to get some of that. And that's when I realized that, yeah, I mean, this, this has, you know, can be in... Um, beyond Asian uh, culture, cuisine as well. Now, I want to ask something uh, political, and it's something that, you know, I talk about on the podcast all the time. And as a child of the South Vietnamese government, I am, it sounds like you are as well. I'm a product of the Gai Tao. I am a product of uh, 
my grandfather being killed in 1944 under the hands of Vin Ming, the whole nine. I get all of that and I get the pain and the suffering and all that. But as a person today, a modern Vietnamese person existing in the world, my brother lives in Vietnam for 20 years. He's been doing Vietnamese business in Vietnam. I've been doing business off and on in Vietnam for also 20 years. And, you know, every time I think about your brand, Red Boat, I think about the implications of somebody at your generation and perhaps the battles that you have to deal with within our community saying, hey, we're going back to Vietnam and we're doing business with the other side. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know it's very political, but I question this question all the time because as a person who was born in America, I should have no allegiance or I should not even worry about what other Vietnamese people from anywhere talk and think about my journey. I should just be able to independently go around along. So I think about Red Boat and I think about like, you know, at your level and at your stage of, of living and the pain and the suffering that we've suffered, the trauma in our history as a, as a culture, where do we have to kind of put our brains to deal with our community that has, it's a very small fraction of people that pushes back on the modern Vietnamese and the globalization of like our partnerships. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Um, anyway, making Fisas, the, the, the products that I'm producing, or I bring it, introducing to the people, for the people who live here, you know, all immigrants. And this is something that is good. It's kind of disappeared because no one has done it and it hasn't been brought here. And my mom loved it. We bring it for our family first. We didn't think it's going to be this big at the time. You know, we just say, hey, at least we got something we enjoy. Whoever, you know, used to have it, this is something, right? Not thinking so much about this is I'm going to go do an enterprise there. I'm going to grow and deal with all the politics. No, that's not what in my mind. We just focus on, okay, how do we bring the best fish sauce that can be only be produced in Fukuoka, right? right? For the people to enjoy. And forget about everything else. We just focus on that. So I'm not doing business in Vietnam. I'm doing business here. We're just producing something. We bring it here. Simple as that. So, so I'm not quite sure with other people how they think, oh, you know, people come and go back into business. My vision is different. You know, that's the only thing. We, we have a good product. 
if we're not keeping it up, it probably will disappear someday. And it would be so sad for so many foodies around the world where they could, you know, beneficially enjoy it. I love your answer because it's product first. Right. It's service first. Let's get whatever's coming out of Vietnam to the rest of the world. That's a beautiful thing. And I, I hope that the community at large that pushes back on any of this stuff understands that, that idea, which is product first. Let's get the best that we can get out into the world, into the best kitchens in the United States and across Europe. Because I understand you have a big distribution uh, house in Germany, right? Right. Yeah, so we worldwide now. We had distribution in, in Australia, Southeast Asia, Germany, which is Europe. And, you know, mainly 90% of our business is for the, in the America, in the United States. So. Yeah. So it's awesome. Now we're getting to see this, this brand, Red Boat, as a product that 90% is coming, you know, into the United States and we're consuming it. And it's, it's made such an impact on when I was a child, I think about how my mom would make um, uh, chicken wings with uh, mum. Yeah. And it was so embarrassing because we would bring it into our classrooms and it would just stink up the whole classroom. And I live with that stigma. I mean, still to this day, I think about that trauma of kids making fun of us with garlic and, and mum. It was yeah. horrible. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know that feeling, you know, and when I worked at Apple, there's people that service, you know, used to do service and they say, oh, you're Vietnam, you went love fish sauce, you know, that kind of thing, you know, the comments. Sometimes not much of the compliments and, and some of the some of the feedback that I've heard is very, very, you know, I'm just proud that we bring something. Yeah. So I give you an example. Um, there's an older generation. She called me after she, she used our product. And she said, oh, I want to tell you something. My husband, he's a serviceman in Vietnam. He works there. And one thing that she could, because she cooked for him every day, right? And one thing that she, he told her, don't ever put fish sauce in any of the food because he can't just stand it, right? And so for the whole, whole time, she didn't dare to do it because it's for that reason, you know, he's not going to be happy. But once they found Red Bull, she used it, she loved it, she sneaked it in, and he didn't even notice. And he even complimented and said, Whoa, your food is good, you know? Yeah. What is that? You know, that kind of thing make us proud. Like you Vietnamese, you have the product, you present it to the world, and this is we should all be proud of. And that's that's one of the mission that we hope we can get it there. Uh, a lot of good feedback from Asian, non-Asian people who use our product. It's crazy on how the magic of branding works because fish sauce has existed for, again, hundreds of years. And in America, we've been here for 50 years and been shamed into not eating what our mothers have produced and we can't take it to a cafeteria. And then the magic of branding is like, okay, well, we're going to bring something high quality and we're going to make sure that the marketing and the branding is understood that this is a high quality product. And it changes the perception from the quality, the actual quality of the product. Yeah, that's, I think that's a lot of the feedback that we've got from Vietnamese, 
younger generation, older generation, you know, the mainstream chefs, and and those are the comments that that we're getting. So, you know, when I eat pho, mm -hmm. and I you know go to a, a restaurant, and I want to test if the broth, the nuk pho is is quality. There's only kind of like one way to do it scientifically in the the way I do it. Uh, you can't really taste it well enough because sometimes you know the bouillon cubes are are powdered into and then the taste throws you off but the one way that i've consistently feel that works is when you take the fall let it cool down uh, you buy it to go let it cool down and you put in the refrigerator and it becomes gelatin right it becomes tat right it becomes thick in cold temperature and you can tell that came from bones that came mm -hmm. from you know eight, 10 hours of, of, of cooking the bones and the gelatin comes out of the bone, then you know you're having real pho, regardless mm -hmm. of the taste and how well that the the uh, flavoring is. That's a way that I test pho broth to be, you know, and who knows if people throw gelatin powder in, yeah, who knows if that happens, but typically that's how I test my pho wherever I go, if I like that restaurant. How do you test for good Nikmam, how do we know other than just what we're tasting? Is there a way to visually or scientifically, how do we know that we're getting high quality Nikmam? Very good question. <laughs> it's hard to describe, but if you look in front of the bowl of fish sauce, right? And then you can compare. Fuk work fish sauce, the color is unique. Dark red amber. Over time, it gets oxidized because food work also produces the fish sauce is high in nitrogen and probably because the fish, because the process and, and those things that I mentioned. Though, in order to tell, if you look at, okay, so two things to start it with. Nutritional panels. What is it in there? Fish and salt. Those are the only two. You don't need any other artificial flavor to enhance it. Those are the thing because it's good enough why you want to muck around with it, right? Yeah. Nutritional values, which is a protein content, which is, that's give you the depth of the flavor. So looking at it from the outside, just more for, you know, educational purpose in terms of people trying to pick different type of fizzas because anything they can say on the front label, the big letters, and say anything you want. You cannot lie on the uh, nutritional panel. Because that's the law. You have to disclose what it is, right? Right. So so let's go by there. So to start with, and then if you look at the fish sauce, you pull the sauce out, you see the thickness of it. There's a viscosity, meaning the high protein, the protein that, you know, when you shake the bowl of fish sauce, you can see the viscosity, the stuff that, you know, hang on on the wall. Those indication of good fish sauce. The other one is very liquid. You know, it's very uh, thin, right? Uh, because diluted or whatever. Uh, good quality fish sauce, visually, if you look at the color, red amber, and then the, the viscosity of the sauce, that's an indication of good, right? And then you test it. When you tested it, if, there's, if you don't test the sweetness of that, which is a good thing, because unless you put sugar or sweetener in there, then it's sweet. It's salty, it hits you, fine. But then the, the lingering effect, that's what tells you, yeah, those are the, the, the savory, that the sweetness from the fish protein 
people can add anything in there that create fit um, sweetness, but the fish protein they have that that lingering effect on your throat when you tasted it. That's what the Japanese called umami, right? Yeah, that lingering satisfaction. Yes, yes, the savory. Yes, the savory satisfaction that, mm-hmm. which is uh, umami. Now, how do you test for protein in a fish sauce? You know, I, I I know that we read the nutrition label, but how do we? I mean, is there any way that we can actually identify the real protein high numbers versus the lower numbers? This disclose in there, like the number of grams of protein per serving, right? So if you use fish sauce per serving is around eighteen grams or, or fifteen millimeters, uh, the serving size, and then. With that standard serving size, then you look at the protein contents. But then you also have to look in the ingredients list, right? Sometimes you get protein from wheat protein, from wheat. That's different from fish, right? So if you don't have anything else, you start with two ingredients and your high protein contents, that means it's more savory in the, in the sauce for you. But again... Um, sometimes it's misleading. I don't want to get into too technical in terms of how you differentiate it, but the the nutritional benefits is actually amino acid, the one mm-hmm. that in the sauce, you know, that's about 60% of the of the total uh protein and nitrogen level. So those factors that actually give you because they can have high protein, high, high nitrogen, but your nutritional value which is the amino acid is low then you're not going to get you know that type of flavor but again i don't want to go too much into the technical aspect of that but you know the the thing is like side by side side by side test and then you can tell but before you test any product if you want to compare orange to orange they have to start with two ingredients if they're not and then you cannot compare the fish sauce with two ingredients and the one with the flavor because it's not the same yeah that makes a lot of sense now what about the different um like i've heard can you explain the idea of like or the first batch i mean can you do a classification breakdown of what that all means to somebody who doesn't know much about fish sauce yeah it's just the the term that people use which is the first drain so after the 12 months of fermentation just like olive oil you get that first drain, the first press. That's what we call. And that's what they call Nukmam Nyi, right? But again, Nukmam Nyi from that region versus Nukmam Nyi from Fu Quek is not the same <laughs> back into the protein content. So yeah, anybody can claim it on the front label. But if you look at the nutritional panel, that's what tells you the real story. And do you have different... Uh sort of brand uh, hierarchy in your uh, red boat? Do you have different sort of qualities that you uh, sell? So we have um, 40 NSR flagship product, right? So hit retail. We also have a lower grade, which is a 31N. That's more for food service and depends on what people use it for, but that's mainly for um, food service for restaurant. And again, the chef knows best. They know how to integrate the sauce into the cooking. So sometimes they don't need the 40N, but a lot of them need it just for the finishing taste of it, of the dish. 
and some, you know, use it to get like salt flavor and all that. Um, so we have another level is 31N. How uh, did you, mainly for food service. How did you figure out that there's 9N units different for food service? Like, how did you figure out like retail is 40N, which is, I'm, I'm sure it's talking about protein levels, right? And then right. 31, like how did you know that you knock off nine ends off of the product to go to Yeah, protein? that's usually a second press also that uh -huh. we get. That, that yield a high, a lower end, lower nitrogen level because it's kind of diluted somehow. And that's what it, it, there's a big price difference between the two grades. And some people, when they cook and they use a lot with it, then they prefer the lower end, which is the 31 end. And also food manufacturing that they integrate, that is an ingredient of one of their product and they use that as well. Oh, interesting. And then in terms of like uh, the second press, like when you, do you add more water to it or how does that work? It works like you got the first, first press you get out, right? Um, it's a long process. You have to be in there. So basically you run through, it's not salt water. You, you have like the lower end and you step it up, right? You, if you have, um, you look at it like this, right? You drink coffee. Yes. You drink like cafe fin, uh, yes. something, right? If you yes. have 10 of them laying up, right? The first one is the strongest. Right. You set aside. And then you add hot water in there, right? So you get very diluted. And then all the first spread, you take it out. Or like the first, uh, the uh, first press on the coffee. Let's say you, you drain it, you get it. That's the strongest, that's the best you can get. And the other one, you dilute it with uh, hot water and you get that, that grit. But instead of pulling the hot water into the other, let's say 10 cups, you put that into the other one mm -hmm. and then you get a little bit higher. Because let's say if you do... Let's say if my barrel is 40, and if, the food, if I put in um, salt water, it's going to like got it down to like 15, 20. Right. You don't even then. And then you have to step it up until a certain level of protein. And that's how you do it. You're just not simply running salt water in there. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit uh, sophisticated, but you can imagine if you line up 10 cup of coffee, caffeine, and then you kind of step it up that way. You know what I've learned about a lot of founders like you is fish sauce is not the only thing that they know a lot about. What other things are you interested about? And what other things do you dream of developing after sort of your journey with Redboat? You know, my goal is making good product from Vietnam's accessible to more people globally. And, and that's what we're still trying to achieve, right? We build a legacy and hand it off the legacy into the family so that people can keep up with that. But yes, there's other product that we've been thinking and we've been trying to do. But um, for example, like Nuk Chum, is one of the product that we use. Uh, the car sauce is also one that we use. And we have the salt, the, the dehydrated fish sauce, when we get the salt out and then you, you make the rubs. You know, just a complement of, of what uh, the fish sauce, you know, in the, in the cooking. 
and that's what um but in my future i'd like to get into um you know doing wine stuff wait wait you would like to get into what <laughs> wine why I mean, very similar, similar process basically interesting and so wait can we talk about this like are you studying it? Are you in actively kind of pursuing that in the back of your mind one day? Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about it. So, uh, but that's that's something the path that I'm pursuing down there because there's a lot of similarity between the two, right? Is is strongly terror related, you know? Uh, if you there's uh, hundreds or thousands of brands out there, and everybody has a different reference so we just kind of uh, complement the food that people cook with so so that's what i'm thinking about say oh, okay a grapes out of vietnam or grapes out of california <laughs> some napa valley napa valley yeah yeah makes sense now you know i i can't uh stop thinking about the supply chain issues of the last few years because of COVID or just because of overall uh, dynamics in, in the globalization and the global economy. What kind of difficulty uh, did you have, I mean, in the last few years, keeping up with supply? No, it's a challenge. And then an industry-wide challenge because um, supply chains in terms of you know, we have the fissures and then we have all the components that make a finished product, like yeah. the bottle, the caps, the label, all that stuff, right? So look at from the manufacturing standpoint, you know, something that I learned from Apple. Apple is making computers, iPods, whatever, right? We're making fissures, two different things. But if you look at it, the fundamental things is supply chains. You know, how do you get the best components for your end products? You know, the same thing with fish sauce, right? You know, nice bottle, glass bottle, you know, um, user impression. And then we have something like user-friendly. How do we, what caps that we should use so that prevent leakage from around the bottles, if you notice, you know, those kind of things. And the more components, the more potentially problem that you have, like during, if you have a supply chain issue, but our supply chain issue, because our main product is a fish sauce, and that's right. you know in total control, so we're not worried about it. The the supply chain issue that happened with us is more on the logistics side, in terms of you know getting the freight from Vietnam to here, because it had to stop, and then and because whatever reason, the cost gone up so much, because the demand gone up so much because the COVID. Everybody, you know, they're creating different type of demands for different type of product, you know, so they have to competing with all those things like, you know, people staying home, um, they buy all the gym equipment and they make all the gym equipment that taking up the space. <laughs> That's where we can normally, right. that kind of challenge. I give you an example, you know, when we ship product from Vietnam, it used to cost like, you know, 1500 2000 one point one time we paid like twenty thousand dollars just to get shit. Ten oh for it's not like and that one like you have the money, you can get the space. You gotta fight for it and then you get congestion everywhere because it's just crazy. So the combination of, of the price and then the, on on the uh, space availability 
And then so, that can wipe out a business, right? If that prolongs a lot of people get a lot of small business get wiped out. But we our model is different. And this is something I can relate it back into my old tech days, you know. You know, like back then, Apple, we creating products and we inventory them, right? And then consumer don't buy the stuff that we inventory. <laughs> they want to buy the stuff that we're not inventory, that kind of thing. And we're not turning the products around fast enough to service consumer demand, right? So that a lot of inventory write off because of that. So it's impact the bottom line. And I've been writing it. I can see, you know, the, the it's a growing parts of Apple and there's a lot of demands and, and, you know, and we cannot get it. So that's something that I learned and it, it can apply to in terms of scaling your business so that you can deal with when you have demands because we're selling in two different markets, right? The Asian supermarkets, we're selling to the specialty store like Whole Foods, Trader Joe, and all that. And they, they require different bottle forms. Yeah. And then you don't know when they need it, but when they need it, you have to have it. It's not like, yeah, wait for six months, I bring it to you. No. <laughs> but but you then, can how how do you control twelve months? Because twelve months of fermentation is twelve months of fermentation. That's right. That's why you kind of predict. And then you always inventory. The good thing with us, we can we have the sauce, and that's why the bottling line that we we brought here into the Bay Area, we have a bottling line in Hayward that solve a lot of our problems with the supply chains and all that. Because our fish sauce will have a long shelf life anyway and then we can store them here and then whenever the demands come whichever format that it might be we can quickly turn that around servicing yeah. it that makes Where so it, much sense yeah throughout the years that you've been operating red boat were there times where you wanted to quit and stop more than once but <laughs> yeah but looking at you know there's always challenge you know there's a time there's not enough fish and there, all the industry they fighting. They buy fish from from the fishermen, drive up the price of the fish. You know that kind of thing, and put a lot of small business out. Uh, that's one of the challenge, right? And then supply chains. Um, it's not so much of that at the time. Really well prepared. It's just hitting the cost, basically. You know, getting. The right um, products. I mean, we've had our all forty ends, but sometimes you get better as you're doing it. You're optimizing your process along the way. So I give you an example. You know, you catch the fish, you put in the barrel. You know, before we hit like seventy percent, sixty percent. The other one's not good enough. We don't bottle. We ship it. You know, and then so that that is creating some yeah. problems right because if you want to maintain the quality that that's the only way to do it you just don't you know compromise the quality and and a lot of the time you know that that we have to go through it and then but what we learn and get out of there but all my years with high techs and actually with apple was really helped because apple was going through the same thing it was growing up and it was right in the middle there and then trying to find the solution for that so so scaling it that's something that i always thought of i said oh, okay um uh, you don't that's what they keep telling you don't want to be 
a victim of your own success. You're creating something that everybody wants and you can <laughs> servicing it and yep. then you die, right? And then somebody came over and take it over from you, basically. You know, when uh, you think about some of the Japanese businesses, some 900 years, 400 years, 200 years, succession of family members that are inspired to do it. In the West here, in the United States, it's very different. Uh, we, as children of our parents, want to do something very different. Somehow you've inspired your next generation. Uh, I understand Tiffany is uh, works very closely alongside of you. How did you navigate the journey of having your children be involved in the business? And I ask this because it's a very cultural um, phenomenon, especially as a Vietnamese second generation. There's many Vietnamese parents. I was in the same predicament. My parents wanted me to take over the business and I fought tooth and nail. I was like, that's not my identity. How was the story of you and your children, um, second generation working in Red Boat? Um, I think they see my mission, right? And I think they see how big this can be. And I think they, they know for sure that I need help. And I think that's, that's what, um, they come in. And I was lucky enough that they motivated enough. They would jump in both feet and try to learn the business and help me. But they got involved at much earlier days when we started our business in the garage. <laughs> Just like any, you know, we get the product here, we do online, we do shipping, that kind of thing. And they kind of help in a way. So they kind of understand the business. And it was small. But then they, you can feel the response, the way how consumer foodies respond when they you know, use the products and all that. I think that's also a big motivation factor and then they want to keep it going. So there wasn't a whole lot of convincing. You can convince what you want, but if they don't see the good values of that, it's not just like, you know, they have to see something that is worthwhile. And this is not just good for the business. This is the legacy that we'd like to build. And, and hopefully, you know, we can just carry on. Yeah, what's well, an exciting time to be Vietnamese and you know, we are very proud. I'm always proud to see our names on screens, on movie screens, on mm -hmm. credits. Oh, I'm yeah. excited to see Red Boat at the mainstream supermarkets. And um, you know, every time we see it, there's a big sense of pride. Yeah. So my I applaud you for for carrying on this legacy and and pushing the tradition of eating our foods uh in lands far away from Vietnam, like Europe and, and the United States. So we are all very proud of the brand Red Boat. Thank you. And Kung, thank you so much for opening up today. I, uh, I really appreciate your time. Okay, thank you for having me on your show. Of course, okay. my pleasure. All right. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.